Hi, welcome to the ACE Tip Podcast. We come to you from the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, and via the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, of the National Institute on Drug Abuse's Justice Opioid Community Innovation Network, or JCOIN. I'm your host, Danielle Rudes, Associate Professor of Criminology, Law, and Society, and the Deputy Director at ACE, and one of the leads on the Capacity Building Corps of the CTC for JCOIN. This podcast is all about translating science into sense. It's about helping criminal justice practitioners, students, and everyday people learn about cool developments in the justice research world, but without all the dryness of the ivory tower. There's a lot of really great research out there, and we'd like to bring it to you in bite-sized doses to help you understand it and be able to use it. No PhD required. Each episode will break down scientific research into a 12 to 15 minute podcast. You can listen to it wherever you are and when it's convenient for you. We'll give you the science, but in a way that makes sense. We also finish with an explanation that translates the research into real words that explain why it's important and how and why you might want to use it. So let's get started. Have you ever tried to cook a recipe that was incredible when prepared for you, but when you try to replicate it in your own kitchen, it's not quite the same? Perhaps you don't have time to simmer as long as they did, or your store doesn't carry the same brand of ingredients, or maybe your cooking tools aren't as good as theirs. The devil, as they say, is in the details. When we talk about evidence-based practices, we can think of them as a meal prepared under specific conditions for the specific goal of satisfying eaters. Let's take this metaphor a bit further. Let's say that to create a meal that is sure to satisfy her diners, a chef decides to test various versions of it, tweaking small things like the amount of garlic or brand of crushed tomatoes she uses. She randomly gives the different versions of the meal to different groups of customers and then asks the customers to answer a very short survey about the meal. Through this process, she finds a version of the meal that consistently leaves customers the most satisfied. Then, let's say that restaurant owners all over the country ask their cooks to prepare this meal. So, all over the country, cooks get a set of specific instructions on how to make the most satisfying meal. But of the hundreds who get the instructions, only a handful replicate the meal. Why? Well, when the chef goes around asking other cooks what happened, she hears all sorts of reasons, like, we didn't have one of the ingredients. We couldn't afford to buy those fancy crushed tomatoes. Our line cooks were too busy prepping other meals to spend as much time on the meal as is required. This style of cooking is not how our cooks were trained. Our cooks would never wash rice that way. Maybe the people in her restaurant in New York like that style of food, but here in Kansas, people wouldn't like that. Our goal is to provide economical meals, not necessarily the most tasty, and on and on and on. That, in a nutshell, is what we call an implementation gap. Scientists might devise and test an intervention targeted toward a specific outcome, like reducing substance abuse behaviors or encouraging weight loss. But once they've got an effective intervention, the work isn't done. And in fact, we've now stepped into an entirely new world of science called implementation science. Implementation science asks things like, Are the cooks trained to prepare this meal? Do the cooks find this meal appropriate for their restaurant? Is the restaurant equipped to make the meal as the instructions require? 
How will we know if the cooks are preparing the meal per the instructions? And if this restaurant is able to make the meal, can it sustain this meal as a regular item on their menu? As evidence-based practices and policies are increasingly expected in both the medical and criminal justice fields, we must understand how these practices work in real-world settings. How are medical interventions given once leaving the carefully crafted research setting? How are empirically tested criminal justice interventions practically carried out by professionals with limited resources or competing goals? The worlds of research and practice can no longer be separated. With researchers laser-focused on cause and effect, and practitioners trying to balance research recommendations with institutional norms, personal experiences, and the needs of the specific populations they serve. The research and practice worlds must be recognized as intertwined. Implementation science strives to better intertwine these two worlds, and as we shall see in the field of implementation science, has gone even further toward this goal in recent years. Dr. Mark Bauer and his colleagues address the role of implementation science in healthcare in their 2015 article, An Introduction to Implementation Science for the Non-Specialist. Bauer and colleagues explain implementation science as the study of how to increase an organization's adoption of evidence-based practices into their routines. Dr. Bauer is an emeritus professor of psychiatry and has researched the development, testing, and implementation of treatment for patients with mental health needs. He also has experience working with veterans and their care in veteran affairs healthcare systems. Bauer and colleagues explain that implementation science research widens the research focus to include not just patient outcomes, but also practitioners and organizations. This field of research requires a multidisciplinary approach that includes researchers in the field of study, as well as sociologists, anthropologists, administrators, practitioners, and those they provide service to. Including the perspectives from so many different people certainly makes implementation research challenging to plan and conduct. So why do it? Well, we saw the outcome of our simple recipe replication. You can imagine that if it weren't a recipe, but a new health intervention, things would be even more interesting. In fields such as healthcare, which have constrained resources, it is important that investments into new programs and policies are effective in their application. Imagine spending a limited budget on a program that research supports, only for it not to be effective in practice. Not only would that be a waste of precious resources, but you can imagine how such a failure might impact the practitioner's perception of science generally. Okay, so we get that implementation science is important, but what is it exactly? Well, to better understand implementation science, it's helpful to look at how it differs from other research studies, such as those that only look at whether a program works or not. Implementation studies differ in the outcomes it focuses on, its priorities, and sometimes its methods. Effectiveness research focuses on outcomes. For example, if a substance abuse program is effective in reducing relapse. Implementation studies, however, focus on how that program is implemented. An implementation study might look at what practitioners thought of the program, how well-trained they were to administer the program, how closely they adhered to the program's protocol, and why and whether the organization could sustain the program. The heart of an implementation study is its focus on evaluating the process of implementation and its impact on the evidence-based practice of interest or the outcome of interest. And implementation studies come in many forms. 
You might be observing how the delivery of an evidence-based practice currently works, and you might then feed back your observations to the program administrators so they can adjust some part or parts of the implementation process. Or you might be collecting data to better understand the impact of your implementation strategy on your outcomes. To accomplish these aims, data can be collected at many levels, including patients, providers, organizations, or broader organizational or environmental factors, such as the community. As you can imagine, data will likely need to be both qualitative and quantitative. Let's think about our restaurant dilemma. Perhaps we wanted to help a selected group of restaurants implement our new recipe, the one that leaves people very satisfied. We might first survey the cooks to understand whether or not they believe the recipe is appropriate for their restaurant. We do this because we've read the literature on implementation science, and we know from the literature that it's very important that the people being asked to implement the thing, or the program, or in this case, the meal, believe that the thing is appropriate for their setting. We might use a quantitative questionnaire that uses a validated scale to assess perceptions of appropriateness. We might find that many cooks do not, in fact, find the recipe appropriate, but the owners are insistent that the restaurant produce this recipe. So the first step might be to better understand why the cooks don't feel that the recipe is appropriate or a good fit. Maybe we interview a subset of the cooks and then code the data for themes. These findings might reveal that restaurants need to cut their other items on the menu to free up the cook's time, or maybe provide more training on particular cooking method. Or maybe we don't do those interviews, but instead we decide to test a couple of different implementation plans. Or maybe the survey findings suggest that most cooks do find it appropriate and the restaurants want to know what degree the cooks are following the instructions or how or why they may deviate from them. In this case, we'd have to think about how we might do this, perhaps by observing the cooks making the recipe. And most restaurants will want to know What about cost-effectiveness of making the new recipe as compared to sticking to the old menu? All of this is implementation science. To highlight the importance of implementation research, imagine this scenario. Your organization, which provides services to those with mental health disorders, has tasked you with choosing a new intervention for clients. You receive a budget to research and implement the evidence-based intervention of your choosing. After much research into the different topics, you choose Intervention X because of its strong empirical support. After implementing Intervention X, however, you do not see changes in outcomes in the patients, despite what the evidence said. This intervention does not seem to be working. You find out that the staff does not fully understand their new duties. They lack the technology they need. Some staff members prefer the old treatment, so they have continued to use it. And many of the patients are unable to secure transportation to the institution every week as the intervention recommends. There is clearly a gap between the scientific evidence and the real-world practice for your organization, which is costing money and decreasing satisfaction among employees and patients. Now imagine this scenario. While researching interventions, you find an implementation study on intervention Y. Another treatment program with strong empirical support. Researchers studied the treatment and its implementation in the setting or in a setting very similar to yours in terms of staffing and patient demographics. This study found that additional trainings and upgraded technology increased how often the practitioners used intervention Y as intended. After implementing this program, using findings and recommendations of the implementation study, you find that employees are using the intervention and the outcomes 
you're seeing in your patients are as expected, given the tests of intervention Y. This example, while simplified, shows why implementation studies are so important when thinking about new programs or interventions. To bridge the gaps that have historically separated research and practice, we must both how we know the practice works to achieve a certain outcome and also all of the implementation components that make the practice feasible. And beyond that, we must examine how evidence-based practices and their implementation models work in the real world. Because as Bauer and colleagues note, quote, even if evidence-based practices are implemented as planned with adequate fidelity, there may be a voltage drop as an evidence-based practice moves from the effectiveness clinical trial setting into implementation in real-world clinical practices, unquote. And moreover, they continue, quote, it is important to know the degree to which an EBP or evidence-based practice when utilized in general clinical practice retains the active mechanisms while adapting to local site needs and priorities, unquote. This new horizon in research is called the hybrid effectiveness implementation design. If you have come to this podcast via the JCoin website, you can click around and find summaries of the various studies being conducted by JCoin members. You will see that a number of them fall under a hybrid effectiveness implementation design. They might be type one, type two, or type three hybrid designs. If you're interested in doing research, it would be good to get familiar with these different designs. Want to know how effective an EBP was on your outcome of interest? But you'd also like to collect implementation data to improve future implementation efforts. That's type one design. Are you interested in studying whether your implementation plan affected your organization's use of the EBP? That's a type three design. And if you really, really want to get into it and test both the EBP effects on your outcome and the implementation strategy effects on EBP use, well, friend, you've got yourself a type two. We have covered a lot in this podcast, and we don't expect that you're going to retain everything. It's really meant just to give you an introduction to the world of implementation science. Understanding implementation science is crucial for anyone wanting to understand or participate in science that is meant to impact what happens outside of a lab. And implementation science requires a collaborative effort between patients, researchers, practitioners, and others. By including more perspectives and researching implementation, both science and real-world practices are improved. That wraps another episode of the ACE-DIT podcast, where we translate science into sense. Also, remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language and short knowledge burst, which are essentially 30-second overviews of all the research we cover on the JCoin website. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here, and they will definitely help you translate this research to your staff, friends, colleagues, or students. Additionally, we'd like to thank NIDA, Dr. Faye Taxman, and all the students and staff at ACE, including our podcast mastermind, Shannon Magnuson, who is the brainchild behind this podcast. Two additional notes. If you're a researcher and you'd like us to consider using your research for an upcoming podcast, send it to me at drudes at gmu.edu. If you'd like to support our podcast to keep the sense coming, tell your colleagues and staff about ACEDIT or assign us to your students. Thanks for listening. Please tune in again soon for another episode of the ACEDIT podcast, where we translate science into sense.